0: imagine with me that you are at home on a saturday morning Uh, you've just finished your cup of coffee or tea uh, and your breakfast and and you're planning out the day when suddenly there is a knock at the door you wander down the house to the front door you smooth out your bed hair a little bit Uh, you make sure your pajamas are all neat and tidy and then you open up the door there standing before you uh, a safe 1.5 meters away of course is someone in a clean, crisp black suit wearing a badge of office that sets them apart as a royal messenger of none other than Queen Elizabeth herself. And in that just incredible British accent, uh, the kind you hear in Downton Abbey, the messenger proclaims that the Queen has chosen you to become part of the royal family. And they have all the documents. They even have a handwritten note from the Queen herself inviting you to fly over to the palace for a royal banquet. Of course, you're ecstatic. You accept the invitation to be part of the royal family. You're going to pack your bags up, wait out COVID-19, and then head over and hang out with the Queen. The messenger waves goodbye, uh, gets into a shiny black car, and heads off down the street. Uh, one week later, you turn on the TV And staring you in the face is a mugshot of the Queen's messenger. But they're dressed a bit differently now. Instead of that crisp black suit, they are in a bright orange jumpsuit. Instead of being driven off in a nice shiny black car, they are being driven off by a police car, sirens and all. You find out that they've been arrested for giving you the invitation from the Queen. They're being charged with all sorts of things, including fraud. Yet there you sit with a letter from the Queen herself and with all these documents proving their legitimacy. You even had a pro check them out to prove it. Yet here in front of you is the royal messenger on TV being dragged away to jail for giving you this invitation. How does that make you feel? Well, a couple of thousand years ago, the church in Ephesus turned on their TVs to see the mugshot of Paul the Apostle staring back at them well, maybe not quite you know on a TV screen, but they received news that Paul had been thrown in prison. Why was he put there for telling people that King Jesus wanted them to be in his family? Imagine what some in that church may have been feeling. The messenger who told them such great news, news that changed their whole life has been thrown in jail. And let's bring it a little bit closer to our reality. Imagine if our pastor, Carl, or the senior pastor of the Trinity Network, Paul Harrington, were arrested one day for teaching the Bible or telling people about Jesus. How would you feel? For the church in Ephesus, Paul imagines that they may be feeling pretty discouraged. They may be wondering, why has this happened? They may be doubting and thinking uh, that, that they might think that the Romans have stopped the spread of the gospel, that they've beaten God. They may have thought that some other forces of evil you know, outside the world were winning some kind of cosmic war. And have you ever felt discouraged and felt like things are just a bit out of control when you look out at the world? Have you ever turned on the TV to, to hear someone making fun of Jesus or making fun of Christianity? Have you ever been insulted by someone because of what you believe or a relationship being affected because you follow Jesus? Or scrolling through social media, there are so many comments and articles that pop up ridiculing Jesus and Christians as well for having a different view to society. And it's also impossible not to hear of the terrible persecution of our brothers and sisters overseas for following Jesus. It's hard sometimes not to feel discouraged as Christians and to feel like things are just out of control. Well, in Ephesians 3 verse 13, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus that he doesn't want them to feel discouraged, even though he has been put in jail for telling people the gospel. Paul doesn't want them to feel this way, because in Jesus, God's eternal purposes have been met. And there is absolutely no stopping what God has said in motion. There are two parts to Ephesians chapter 3, which kind of cap off the first half of the letter to the Ephesians. Verse 1 sparks off a bit of a tangent. It seems like Paul is about to pray, but then he stops. Uh, The reason being is that in verses 2 to 13, Paul wants to reveal why he doesn't want the church to be discouraged because of what he's going through. And then he goes back to his prayer in verses 14 to 21 and reveals what he does want for the church and what his great prayer for them is. In the notes section, you'll see an outline for the talk today. Uh, We're at point one now. Why Paul doesn't want them to be discouraged? Why Paul doesn't want them to be discouraged? Well, firstly, in verses 2 to 6, because of the mystery that has been revealed. Now, I don't know how you think about mysteries, uh, but my mind automatically goes to Scooby-Doo. It's a cartoon I used to watch when I was younger about a group of four people and a talking dog, Scooby-Doo, who call themselves Mystery Incorporated. Their job is basically to uncover scary mysteries and to stop bad people from taking over the world. The show usually ends uh, by the bad guy being caught and by their mask being taken off, by the mystery being revealed. And it ends with them always exclaiming, I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. In Ephesians 3, the mystery that Paul is talking about isn't something that he's trying to uncover or discover for the first time. It's not a mystery to demask. It's not something hidden and dark or mysterious. It's something that has been given to him by God to share with others. And it's actually something Paul has already spoken about. See, this mystery is to do with the unification of God's people in Jesus Christ. In chapter 1 we find out that this mystery is to do with bringing unity to everything under Christ. And in two, that it is seen in the Jews and Gentiles being made into one new humanity through what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. We are told in chapter 2 that we were totally lost in our sin before Jesus came, that we were dead in sin. But we're told that we have salvation from sin in Jesus, that we're saved by grace through faith in him and not by anything we can do. And that it's those with this faith in Jesus who are part of a new humanity that is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, God's people. This mystery is further outlined in Ephesians 3, where Paul writes in verse 6, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. My brother and I used to jokingly argue about who was our mum's favorite son. I'd say, I'm the favourite. And then my brother would say, no, I'm the favourite. That was until mum sent a message to our friend Davo telling him that he was the favourite. And now he's joined in the fight. He even snuck into mum and dad's house and replaced my older brother's wedding photos with his own and put his, his face all over our fridge instead of mine and my brother's. But there is always that one line that a mum will say to her kids, isn't there? No, I, I love you all. I have no favourites. You're all equals here. Neither Jew nor Gentile can claim the title from God of Favourite Son because the mystery of the gospel says that those who put their trust in Jesus become co-heirs, co-members and co-sharers. That means that they are all equally part of God's new people loved by him. So, Firstly, we are co-heirs. This means that those who trust in Christ can call themselves God's children. We're not just an acquaintance or a friend or a close relative. We are children of God. We get to call God our Father, knowing that He loves us as His children. Secondly, we are co-members of the same body. In Ephesians chapter one and four, Paul calls this Christ's body, meaning the church. See so we are not just cast adrift as individuals, we are part of Christ's body together being made from Ephesians chapter 2 into a dwelling place for his spirit. And thirdly, we are co-sharers in the promise in Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, starting with Genesis 12, God promises that his people will one day be with him in his kingdom, with his king, sharing in his blessings forever. And this promise is one that those who trust in Christ receive. It's a promise that is fulfilled in Christ and that we get to look forward to An eternity with our beloved Saviour, enjoying the blessings of our God in a new creation. When we feel discouraged by what goes on around us and by what we see, Paul says, remember that you are a child of God, part of a whole, who gets to share in the eternal blessings of Christ. Even though things may look bleak now, this is the reality of who you are if you trust in Jesus. Don't be discouraged because the mystery has been revealed. Secondly, in verses 7 to 11, don't be discouraged because of what God God has done through the mystery of the gospel. See, Paul calls himself a servant of the gospel and talks about the role he has been given by God as a gift. He says that this has happened despite the fact that he is the least of all the Lord's people. That's in verse 8. I think what Paul is trying to bring out here is firstly that he doesn't view his role as an unbearable burden done in misery. Even in prison, Paul calls it a gift. And secondly, I think that Paul is saying that he is dispensable. This isn't his mystery that he's sharing. It's God's mystery that Paul is sharing, first of all, with the Gentiles. And then he says in verse 9 that this gift was given to him to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. In other words, this mystery isn't a surprise to God. Rather, it's something that God kept hidden in the past and is now revealing. It isn't something that just that just happened at the spur of a moment. It's something God has orchestrated. The purpose for this is seen in verse 10. Paul writes, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The rulers and authorities being referred to, I think, are the same as in chapter 1, verse 21, who Jesus is seated above at the right hand of the Father. And in chapter 6, verse 12, uh, who are the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, uh, created beings who have rebelled against God, forces that oppose him. I don't know if you've ever flown over a city anywhere and seen the lights at a sports arena below you or at a concert lighting up the sky. That's what Paul says the church is. That the existence of the church is a show of laser beams, loud music, and big lights that calls the attention of the universe, of all the rulers and authorities in the heavens, to a God who in his great wisdom has been at work throughout all eternity in different ways to bring about his one purpose through Jesus. His eternal purpose, to bring unity under Christ. And he has accomplished it. There is no war where God is battling away. He isn't using this mystery as a kind of surprise attack on an enemy. God, the creator of all, has accomplished what he has always been planning. To make for himself one new people, united under Christ. And how amazing is it for us to enjoy this reality today? Even though something like COVID-19 is happening, God in his manifold wisdom has made it possible for us to still meet like this through a screen as God's people united under his son. When you feel discouraged by what is going on around you, be reminded that God has accomplished already what he set out to do in Jesus Christ. Paul knows that his imprisonment cannot stop that. And we too, when we feel ridiculed or mocked, or when we hear Jesus' name being thrown in the mud, when we see the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can know with certainty that this will not stop the accomplished work of Jesus on our behalf. The existence of God's people is a blazing light that declares that to the universe. Not because there is anything special about us. Remember, we're saved by grace. It's because of what it means that we can call ourselves God's children. Co-heirs, co-members, co-sharers. God's wisdom revealed. Paul doesn't want the church in Ephesus to be discouraged because of what God has brought about through the gospel. In verse 12, we see finally the last reason why the church in Ephesus and us need not be discouraged. Paul says, don't be discouraged because we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. It's in verse 12. He says that in Jesus and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. See, we could never approach God on our own terms and through our own power. Through faith in Christ, though, believing in him. Paul says that we can approach God with freedom and confidence, with boldness. The God who created the whole universe, who sits above all other heavenly authority or ruler, who is eternal, who we had rejected because of sin, but who made us alive with Christ because of his love for us. This God we can approach through faith in Christ. We can call him our father and enjoy a relationship with him as his children. If you are tuning in with us today, and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Christ, know that the God of the universe who created you wants you to know him, wants you to be in the kind of relationship with him where you can approach him as your perfect loving father, knowing he loves you. If you have questions about this, please ask them. So We would love to think through uh, with you what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus the Ephesians might have been worried that they would lose access to Paul because of his imprisonment, their access to the gospel maybe. They, they might not be able to hear from the person who helped establish their church. But Paul is saying, uh, forget that. You have direct access to God through Christ. When you feel discouraged by what is going on around you, know that there is nothing you cannot bring to God know that you have full access to the Father and He hears you. That we can cry out to Him in frustration, pain, anger, when we look around and begin to doubt or begin um, to to be sad. We, We have full access to a Father who's done everything to make us His. So Paul says, don't be discouraged. Firstly, because of the mystery that God has given. Secondly, because of what the mystery reveals about God. And thirdly, because of the access we have to our Father. Paul doesn't want them to be discouraged. Rather, what he wants for the church is outlined in verses 14 to 21. Now, remember Paul, uh, the royal messenger, is in prison. And what does he think is the best thing for the church? He doesn't say, for this reason, come and rescue me so I can be with you. Paul prays that God would be with them. This is ultimately what Paul wants for the church, for God to be with them, not Paul to be with them. Part two, what Paul wants for the church. Firstly, that Christ may dwell in their hearts. Paul writes from verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But It's a strange prayer, isn't it? What does it mean for our inner being to be transformed and for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith? What I think Paul means by this is that he is praying that the evidence of Christ being in us by the Holy Spirit will become more and more clear. There will be evidence to those around us. I heard an example of this from someone recently that I found pretty helpful. The idea being expressed here is of Christ making his home in our hearts, of dwelling in us. When I moved out of home for the first time, I moved into a share house. Uh, everything was new and different, a little bit messy at points, uh, And it, it, but it just wasn't my space, even though I was living there. I could tell this because a close friend of mine who had been living in the room before me, uh, he was working in the fashion industry at that time, and every now and again, I would be walking across the carpet in my room, I'd put my foot down, and I'd feel a little pin just sticking up into the bottom of my foot. I was there. But the evidence that it was my house and not my friends wasn't completely there yet. But over time, it became more evident that I lived there. Guitar cases appeared around the house. My toothbrush was in the bathroom. My dirty laundry was sitting unwashed next to the washing machine. Uh, The fridge was stacked with steak and schnitzel. I remember this was the first house I moved into after being with mum and dad. Uh, It became more and more evident that it was me occupying that house. Well, here, Paul's prayer is that the Spirit would transform us more and more inwardly, that Christ might, might more evidently be seen as the homeowner of our hearts, that we would become more and more like Him. And this week, as I've been spending more time in this part of the Bible, I, I think the prayer that Jesus would dwell in my heart is one that I definitely need to be praying more, more for myself, more for others, and doing so often. In Bible study on Wednesday, while we were looking at the passage, someone made the great observation, I think, that it's easy for us to think that we can work on ourselves in this way uh, without Jesus. But we might do all the right things in terms of how we live, how we're seeking to live our lives. But ultimately, uh, we can't change our hearts without the Holy Spirit. We can't mature as Christians and become more like Jesus without Him making it possible so this is a great prayer for all of us to be praying together as a church. And for yourself, maybe ask the question as well, what are the things that actually turn my heart away from Christ instead of to him? Ask God to help you figure out what that may be and to help you keep your heart set on him. The second thing that Paul prays for is to do with being full. Uh, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians Uh, is that they might understand how big Christ's love is, that they may be filled by the fullness of God. Paul writes uh, in the second part of 17 to 19, he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the... Uh, to the measure of the fullness of God. Already in Ephesians, this love is mentioned. Uh, Firstly, in that we have been chosen through Jesus Christ to be adopted to sonship, to receive all the blessings this entails out of God's love for us. That's chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. And that we who were once dead in transgressions and sins have been made alive in Christ, chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, because of God's love for us. That's what it means to be rooted and established in love. Out of God's great love for us, we have been saved and called to be his children. The idea here is of a tree that has grown out of the love of God and that has deep roots in that love. The image being painted by Paul is of love being a characteristic, of the characterising feature of the church, a church that's rooted and established in love. Uh, Paul wants us to uh, continue also to grasp how enormous Christ's love is. It is love that surpasses knowledge. It's impossible to comprehend fully how great this love is of Christ. But Paul wants us to continue learning about it and seeing this love in all its vastness to grasp how wide and long and high and deep this love really is. The reason Paul praises is that we may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, this seems pretty strange, doesn't it? In 1 verse 22, Paul talks about the church as the body of Christ and as the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Yet here in 3.19, there is still room to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, what I think Paul is really praying here is that by understanding more and more the enormity of the love of Christ, that the church would take on the attributes of God and become more and more like him. It's a prayer for us as a church as well that we would together continue to grow in our understanding of the vastness of Christ's love and that this would shape us and change us to be a church that replicates more and more this love of Christ to those around us. Paul finishes off the first half of the letter uh, with these verses of praise for God. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Imagine that one day people across Australia started being put in prison because they were sharing the gospel. Or well, Paul says not to be discouraged because God is in control. That God has already accomplished his purposes in his son Jesus and those who follow him are part of that. Paul, the royal messenger himself, who's been thrown in prison, says that it's okay that this has happened to him because God is in control. What counts is that God is with his people, not Paul. That God is transforming us and working through us to accomplish his purposes. Paul's prayer is that the church, even amidst these hard times, will continue to grow to be like Christ as they continue to understand how enormous his love is that God might be glorified through the church so that all may hear his name throughout all generations. This week, why not pray the prayer of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21 with each other? Ask that God would continue to shape us into the likeness of his son, Jesus, that we might bring glory to his name everywhere. I'm going to pray that now. Would you pray it with me? Heavenly Father, We pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and we pray that, being rooted and established in love, we may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God.